0: Welcome to the Mountain Park Church Podcast. We're excited to share this week's message with you. Our mission is to allow God to work in and through us, and we'd love to hear your story of how God has been working in or through you. Email us at mystory@mp.church at and tell us how God has been working in and through you. And this is the purpose of church, to be in community, to be
1: a body, as Paul tells us. And a body is, as I'm getting older, I'm starting, I'm doing, I don't know why, but I'm doing a 10-mile a, a, Tough Mudder, I don't know, and I just, we just had a child, so I don't know. I don't know what I'm thinking anyways, but what I'm realizing is as I get older, my body breaks down, right? And, and my knees are hurting more than they ever have before. And what I realize is that when my knee hurts, my whole body cannot work out the way it should, right? And so when we, when we are not functioning the way that we're working, when we're supposed to as a body, it matters. That means when, when you're not living where God wants you to be at, you're not just hurting yourself, you're actually hurting this church. You're hurting the community. You're hurting lost people because we're the body. And so we want to be who God's created us to be all together. Amen? So let's go ahead and look at the, the Colossians. Um, and yes, the, the city is called Colossae. My wife, my wife. I got off stage and she said, are you sure that's how you say it? Yes, I am sure. I love my wife. Um, and it is, I had to clarify that, I know. <laughs> Um, So Colossae is the church that we're going to be looking at. And and you know what's interesting? If you are like me, when you look at the Word of God, you look at it in in its totality. You look at it as one book together. You look at the New Testament and you say, okay, this is a good book. I should know it. It's the Word of God. It is alive. It it, it speaks to us. It cuts through marrow and bone. And if you're new to to Christianity, I want you to know this, that, that the Bible is not just a history book. That is actually God's word. And that when you read it, even when we don't feel it. How many of you guys have devotion times that like, I don't get anything from that. I'm so, I'm more confused than I was ever. That is, the point is not that you actually understand it more and more. But sometimes when you just read the word of God, it is alive. It moves in you, even when you don't know what it's doing. And so that's why it's important that we unpack the word of God together. And so let's, let's look at Colossians. But the problem, the problem I have when I read the Word of God sometimes is I disconnect from the actual people that it was written to. And I read it as Alex in the 21st century as a Canadian. And so I think that they were writing it to me, which is somewhat true. It is alive today and it speaks to us, but it was written to real people. And so let's, I want us to paint this picture. So if you can, if you can just bring your, your imagination bring it full force today, I want us to imagine that we are the church of Colossae. Now, there's a pastor that has come in and built this church. He's planted this church. So I want to imagine that the pastor, we love the pastor. We love him. He's been teaching us about Jesus, and we've actually got saved. It's transformed our life. Before this, none of us have heard about Jesus Christ and saving his saving grace. None of us. And so this message that Epaphras, our pastor, brings has changed our lives. And we are so excited about it. We are telling all our friends. We're going all over the place. But then come in some other teachers and let me tell you they are eloquent speakers they know their stuff they know their old testament and they have challenged Epaphras and we as a congregation are utterly confused because Epaphras we love, we, we've seen the fruit of what he's preached in our lives but these, these, these other teachers have come in and they're bringing in different ideas adding on to what Epaphras is saying, saying hey Epaphras is, is partially right but he actually, he's just newer in the faith so he doesn't fully know what's really going on let me enlighten you and they are, they are good teachers and so as a congregation we are absolutely confused and imagine this Not sitting in one week of that. Not sitting in two weeks of that, or three weeks of that, or four weeks. We're talking about months and months going on where we are confused. Is Epaphras teaching us the whole truth? Can we really fully believe what he's teaching? Or or are these guys right? Do we need to add to Jesus? Do we need to add to this gospel he's given us? And we are so confused, so confused that Epaphras says, fine, listen, I'm gonna solve this. I'm gonna go find the Apostle Paul. He goes off and he finds the Apostle Paul and we think, this is what we think is gonna happen. Epaphras is gonna come back to us and he's gonna say, I know the full gospel. But something better happens. We here, imagine this, okay? Let's take our imagination and let's bring it in full circle. We come into church today and we learned that not only do we have a message, but we have a message from the Apostle. Paul, the one who used to be the terrorist against the church, he has written a letter, not to some other church, but directly to us. Can you imagine what we would be, we would be on the edge of our seat saying, what is he going to say? Is he going to say that these teachers are absolutely right? We need to follow it and Epaphras just started us off? Or is he going to say that Epaphras is absolutely right and what he's been teaching is fully right? This is the letter that we're opening. And so often when I read it, I read it like, oh yeah, no, yeah, it's one of those books that Paul wrote, you know, 13 of them, pretty cool. Um, no, 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 they don't have the New Testament. This letter is so important to them because they are utterly confused in controversy. It's all they talk about. They're divided over it. They're fighting over it. And this goes on for months. It's not in the age of Google. They can't figure it out. So the apostle Paul comes in and he has a letter. And this is what we read today. Sorry. Take a breath. Verse 9. So we have not stopped praying for you since we first heard about you. Again, this is Paul speaking. We ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will and to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. Then the way you live will honor and please the Lord and your lives will be will produce every kind of fruit. All the while, you will grow as you learn to know God better and better. (laughs) We also pray that you will be strengthened with all his glorious power so that you will have all the endurance and patience you need. May you be filled with joy, always thanking the Father, He has enabled you to share in the inheritance that belongs to his people who live in the light. For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. I can remember um, coming back to the hospital after we had our first baby. I say we. I didn't really do any work. My wife did all the work. But Ellie, Eloise was born in, uh, in West Lincoln Hospital. Um, and I remember I had to leave. They made us leave because there wasn't enough room. Um, and I remember coming back at 9 o'clock to pick up my wife and our baby and being absolutely terrified. Any, any first parents remember that? You know, you, you, you pack the baby up in the stroller um, or in the car seat and you, you bring you bring her out and you're just nobody's stopping you Nobody's walking you feel like you're somehow kidnapping your own child like like there are more security on cell phones that we buy at stores or electronics at stores than there are for our babies that we we're, we're just taking out nobody's walking out nobody's like i expected like four nurses to be around and be like okay now here's what you need to look for when this is happening this is what you want to do and like having charts and designs and everything there was nothing i remember coming back to our apartment and being like Now what? The midwife left? Why would she leave? This is the part we need her for. Right? I remember being absolutely lost, feeling like, where is the manual for this? Because I don't know how to be a father. Then I was thinking this week, isn't that kind of how we walk out our faith? Like we get saved and we get excited and, and we're part of church. And, but aren't there times where you're like, I have no idea what I'm doing in this life of following Christ. Anyone? Like I, I feel like there are times where I'm like, yes, God's given us his manual. But sometimes this book is overwhelming. Anyone else? <laughs> like it's a big book. And I just get overwhelmed and I wonder what am I doing? How am I doing this? And this is what I love about this, this passage that we just read. If you're wondering what is a prototype for a believer, what should a mature Christian look, look like? Paul, in his prayer, he is actually giving us a prototype. So if you're looking for a title that, you can call it the prototype. Um, but last week we looked at the first half of his prayer, So he opens up up the book by saying a prayer. The first half is thanksgiving. He's actually saying, thank you, Father, for what you have done in their lives, for the gospel that has been preached, it has transformed their lives. And we are thankful for that. And then his prayer shifts from thanksgiving for what is to a prayer, a sincere prayer of a pastor for his congregation. So he's saying, This is what I hope you, Church of Colossae, you, Church of Mountain Park, this is what I hope you will become and walk into. And I think that is a very important thing for us to check out. So let's go ahead and look at what Paul says. Paul breaks it off into three categories. So if you're taking notes, you can write three categories. First one is this, mind, body, and spirit. He prays over the mind, body, and spirit. So first, he prays for the mind. Let's look at verse 9. It says this. We ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will and to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. It's so interesting um, that God is so intrigued and, and it's so important to him our mind is very important to him. I know sometimes Christianity gets this bad rap of being like mindless and you shouldn't think for yourselves, but that's actually not true. The Bible is very strategic. Look at at, uh, Paul's writing to Romans in Romans 12.1. He says this, do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be transformed. See, it is very important as believers that our minds are being transformed. And this is why we open up the word of God. This is why we preach the gospel. This is why we read the scriptures. Because it begins to change our mind from earthly thinking to heavenly thinking. Then he says this. Paul writes to another church. And he writes this in verse uh, two, um, or chapter 2, verse tw- uh, 16. He says, who can know the Lord's thoughts? Who can know enough to teach him? But we must understand these things, for we have the mind of Christ. See, he's very, he, is, he is telling us that, that God cares about our thoughts. He cares about how we think, because here's the truth. How we think is how we'll live. If we think one way, we will live a certain way. And so God understands the importance of our mind. And so when he prays, he prays that we would have the knowledge of his will and spiritual wisdom and understanding. So let's unpack those those three terms. So when he says knowledge, he is not just talking about intellect. That's what we think about, right? Like we think if we knew more about the Bible, we would just be somehow a better Christian. Well, that's not necessarily true because there are a number of different people who know the scriptures way better than myself. And they don't actually believe it. So it's not just about intellect. He actually says this. Knowledge of his will. Let me ask you this question. How do, you know the, how do you know the knowledge of, let's say, a good friend's will? How do you know their will? How do you know your spouse's will? So I can tell you, for my wife and I, we are very different people. She's a card person, for one. Um, and I love cards. I'm a reformed card person. Um, But whatever I think, she almost thinks always different. So like when I eat my meals really fast, like really fast. And so what's great is that I can eat some of her meal because one, she's a girl, she never eats as much as me, right? So she doesn't want all her meal. And then two, um, I can just eat as much as I want. And so I I went to her and I was like, you know, when I got married, I thought this is great. I can now get two meals for the price, well, the price of two, but. Then, so sh- what I didn't realize is that she actually saves the best part to the end. And so as a newly married husband, I would think, sweet, I'm going to, this is actually what I was thinking. I was thinking, this is great. That's the best piece. I'm going to take this piece because it's not as good as that piece. And literally as I'm eating it, she's like, that's my favorite piece. I'm like, <sighs> right, but- how do I know her will? Well, the more I spend time with her, the more I realize, don't eat her food, dude. <laughs> Wait till she says you can. So when Paul is saying, no, the knowledge of his will, we think this. Oh, okay. Um, well, just, just tell me, when we know the knowledge of his will, all we need to know is step one, step two, step three, step four, step five, destiny. That's what Paul means. Eh. That's not what he means. Just like knowing the knowledge of my wife's will or my my good friend's will is knowing them. We must know God. And look, he says it in verse 10. He says this All the while you will grow as you learn to know God better and better. See, we should not, and, and I do this so often. God, just tell me the steps and I will take it from here. That's not what Paul is saying. He's praying for the church to know God. He said, listen, if you know God more and more, if you know him better and better, you will be in his will and you will be a mature Christian. This is what I'm hoping for. And then he jumps from knowing, knowing God. It's relationship. It's not about just knowing the steps, but it's about knowing him personally. And then Paul goes from that and he uses a word, wisdom. Now the Bible is full of wisdom. It is, it, I mean, Proverbs is called the book of wisdom. Like, like it talks about wisdom a lot, of, a lot of times. But what's interesting is this. Wisdom is just known as intellect or, or knowledge or understanding. But Paul uses this word before it that he says spiritual wisdom. So it's not just earthly wisdom. It's not just knowing how to build a certain house or knowing how to do mathematics or knowing this or that. It's actually spiritual wisdom. And here's what the the actual literal definition of that word translated means. Relating to the realm of the spirit, the invisible sphere in which the Holy Spirit imparts faith and he works. So he's saying, he's saying, not just wisdom, intellect, understanding. He's saying spiritual. So knowing the realm that the Holy Spirit works in. Then he says this: wisdom is Sophia. So if your name's Sophia, shout out to you, it means wisdom. Um, which which actually literally can be can be translated as clarity. So Paul's saying, I want you to have clarity, but not just here on earth. I want you to have clarity in the supernatural realm where the, where the spirit of God moves. He's praying, hey, I want you to know God. I want you to have an intimate relationship with him where you'll know his, his will, where, where he'll speak in a crowded room and you'll stop. My mom, when I, when I was growing up, She would snap her fingers, and I'm not lying. I could be in a gymnasium because she was a gym teacher, and I would hear that snap and stop. Can we know the voice of God from our relational point where he says something and we stop? Where we're going about our will, we have something on our mind, we have a checklist done, but he says, stop, this person needs to hear from me. Pray for this person. Know God. And then he says this: don't just know me. I actually want you to take another step where you, you see into the spiritual realm where the Holy Spirit is moving, where He's active, and I want you to have wisdom on that. And then he takes it one step further. He says, I want understanding. Now, understanding and wisdom are, are tied together throughout. Look at look at Proverbs 13:3. Joyful is the person who finds wisdom. The one who gains understanding. They're tied together all the time. Understanding is the idea that we apply the knowledge we have. Now, I have, I have friends who, who are actually, um, they can dance. Like, they have soul. It just comes natural to them, right? So often what we think of, of of understanding in in the kingdom of God or understanding the Bible, we think of it again as as knowing steps. I took my wife once. uh, We went to learn dancing. We didn't go to a club. It was like learning to dance. Um, So we were learning to do, I don't know, I think the salsa, which is a great beginner's one anyways. Um, And so I could comprehend. I could comprehend the steps, what I should be doing this step, this step, this step, I, I can't remember it now, but, and then I'm like, yes, I was watching somebody, I can comprehend this. The application of it looked something like spastic human beings, and I stepped on my wife's toes for a while, and then we got in a fight, because she started leading, and then that was a whole other thing. <laughs> Understanding is the application of intellect. So what is Paul saying? He's saying, I hope that you have an intimate relationship with our Heavenly Father, where you know his voice and you know his will. I hope that you have insight into the spiritual realm where the Holy Spirit is active and moving And then I don't just hope that it's here, but I hope that it applies into your life of understanding. So you know how to interact with the people at work who are hateful. Or you know how to interact with people who are broken. Or you know how to interact with people who are in whatever situation. See, the application, the understanding of your faith comes out. This is what Paul's praying for. He prays for our mind, that we would have an intimate relationship with God, that we would have spiritual wisdom, and that we would have understanding to walk it out. And then he goes from the mind into our body, and he says this. Then the way you live will always honor and please the Lord, and your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. I like, I like the English Standard Version that says, says that last bit like this. Fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work. I want to break this into two parts of our Christian walk that, that I, I believe that Paul is going to talk about here. He says this, bearing fruit, good works. There is fruit that needs to happen in our lives and that fruit happens inwardly. So the first one is that it has to happen in us. See, God has to be working in us. This is how we please God. We don't just do social justice, but inside we're decaying and dying. We need the Spirit of God to first work in us and then through us. Let's look at Galatians. Um, Again, Paul is writing this letter to another church and he is giving us a list of fruit And he gives us the fruit of the flesh. And he gives us the fruit of the Spirit. Can you pull up the verse there? Galatians um, 6, I believe. It says this. Let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. Have you ever felt that? This pulling inside of you. I don't want to do this. Oh man, I'm walking towards this. Why am I doing this? I don't want to. This is, this is what Paul's talking about. The Spirit of God is leading you one way. Your flesh is leading you another way. And then he gives us the fruit of the Spirit. You can switch to the next slide. So the fruit of the flesh is this. Sexual immorality impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, it goes on a list. Then he says, but this Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Let's just get real gut level serious. What fruit is in our lives? Because Paul says, look, it will be simple. Holy Spirit, this is what's evident. Flesh, this is what's evident. And I know as Christians, we, get, we try to get away from a lot of this, like, oh, I've, I've insulated myself from all of that bad stuff from the world, but let me ask you this question. Which one, what defines your entertainment? What are you listening to? What are you watching? What's more evident? Is it the fruit of the flesh or the fruit of the spirit? See, the Spirit of God wants to move in us. He doesn't just want you to attend church. He doesn't just want you to be on a Bible reading plan. He doesn't just want you to be in community, in a life group or a Bible study group. He actually wants to transform you inside out. This has been the problem of the church for so long. We try to conform the outward man so that the inward man will change. This is not the gospel. The gospel is that it... Comes into us and we begin to change. We don't like the things that we did like. And we're like, why? Why don't I like that? Because of the Spirit of God is moving in us. So look, I'm not here to tell you, here's the list of things. Yes, there is clear sin that needs to be out of our lives. And the Bible does not, it does not give a cheap way of looking at sin. Sin is death. If you wonder how important sin is or how powerful sin is, Jesus had to come to die to overcome it. We could never do it. That's what the Old Testament was. It was following the rules. If you can follow the rules, you'll make it. We never made it. Jesus had to come because sin was a problem that could not be solved except for him. So inwardly, we have to be changing. We need the spirit of God. So this is the prayer of Paul. He says, listen, I want fruit in your life. Good fruit, the joy, the love, the peace, the patience, the kindness, the gentleness, the self-control. I want this to be cultivated in your life and you cannot do it by yourself. Verse eight says it. Look at verse eight. I don't have a slide for that, but verse eight says this. I, I appreciate the love. Let me actually say it, not in the Alex version. Um, He's speaking about Epaphras. He says, he has told us about the love for others that the Holy Spirit has given you. The Holy Spirit can only be the one who produces the spirit, the the fruit of the spirit. For too often, we have tried to conjure up this type of stuff. I need to be more patient. I need to be more patient. And then we just go off. Because we try to do it in ourselves. It's it's called full submission to the Spirit of God. Sin in your life, you are not the one who's supposed to overcome it. Jesus already did that. You're supposed to walk in who Jesus has called you to walk in and know that it is by following him that we are able to do this. The Spirit of God moves in us. It begins to work in us and then it moves outward. And this is what Paul's saying. He's saying good fruit and good works. Look, you can't tell me that God's doing great things in your life and you just sit at home by yourself. Oh yeah, but I'm praying for a lot, a lot of broken people. Maybe may be true, but what happens is, is that when the Spirit of God moves in you, it moves you to action. Look at the Scriptures. Yes, there's always a season of prayer, and I'm not negating the power of prayer, but we like to hide behind some religiosity, right? And say, oh no, I'm studying my Scriptures, or when I'm ready, I'm going to... That's one of the greatest lies the church has ever believed. When I'm ready, I'm going to. I'm sorry, the disciples were never ready. Jesus just kind of kicked them out. This is what we need. When it works in us, when the fruit of the Spirit is cultivated in our life through an intimacy with with God. And listen, all of the things that I said beforehand, they are the springboard to seeing those things in your life. You want inward change? Don't, Don't just try harder. Submit better. See, knowing God will allow him to work in your life. Seeing into the spiritual realm will give you insight into the price of sin. And understanding will allow you to see the impact of your actions in people's lives. See, we think when we sin, it's just one, one thing and it just affects us, but no. Remember, we're a body, so it affects us, it affects others. And so we need to begin to see that, that sin is death. Sin hurts it destroys. And when the Holy Spirit works in us, he cultivates through us. And then he moves us with compassion to help others. And so we need a faith that moves us to action. I love, I love what James writes in James 1:26 and 27. He, he sees this inward and outward perfectly. He says this, If you claim to be religious, like he is just, I love it, it's the brother of Jesus and he's just like, he's not pulling punches, he is just throwing down. And I love it. He says this, if you claim to be religious, but don't control your tongue, you are fooling yourself and your religion is worthless. Now, the question that this is asking is this, is it like, man, he must really hate lying. Like, he must really hate curse words. Like, James just doesn't like it. You know, you always have, like, that uncle that just hates that one word that you say. And, like, anytime somebody says it, it's like, hey, don't say that. You know the meaning of that word. Anyone else? No? Okay. Well, anyways. Um, but this is, he's not just saying, like, oh, it just he just picks the tongue. No, the tongue, the tongue is a purpose because it actually, Jesus says this, out of the heart, the mouth speaks. See, when we, when we say things, they, it comes out of who we are. So he's saying, listen, like the inwardness of who you are, the taming of the tongue, you, if you don't have a tame tongue, if you don't have that, the fruit of the Spirit's not in you. Come on. You say you're religious, but we're playing games here. And then he continues. See, inwardly he says this. Let's, let's, not, let's not make our religion cheap. It happens in us, and it's evident through what we say Then he continues this, pure and genuine religion in the sight of God, the Father, means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world compromise you. Paul is saying, I want to see good works come out of your life. Church, Come on, the gospel has come in. Now, he said this in the, in the, the Thanksgiving we looked at last week. He's saying, I've seen and I'm, I'm excited because the gospel, the full gospel has come to you and it's transformed your life. And I'm excited because that's what the gospel does. You want evidence of you, if you have the full gospel, your life is transformed. He's excited about this. He is so pumped about it. And then he says, listen, it should move outside of you. I want to see it not just in this community where we come together on Sunday and we unpack scriptures and we see the presence of God move, people healed, lives transformed. I want to see it in your house. I want to see it in your workplace. Students, I want to see it in your schools. I want to see God moving in and through you. That's his prayer from the apostle to this church. And then he moves from the mind the body, to the spirit. And he ends with this passage. Actually, he doesn't end. This is like a double, the double ending that a pastor says. This is the ending, and then has three more points. <laughs> we also pray that you will be strengthened, sorry, verse 11, with all his glorious power so you will have all the endurance, patience you need. May you be filled with joy, always thanking the Father. It's so interesting. I read this passage and I, and I was just kind of studying through it. And one word jumped out at me in each translation. It was power. Power. And, and power is one of those things we love in the New Testament. Um, and it says, it's, from, it's the same word, dunamis. It's, it's the word that we see in Acts 1.8 that says, um, the Holy Spirit will come on you in power to be my witnesses. And we love that. And we think, and we think often of that passage, the power, we will see signs and wonders and the gospel. But, but Paul says this, he uses the word dunamis, this power, To see fruit produced. He says, I pray that God's power will be active in your life to see endurance, patience, joy, and thanksgiving. Endurance is this. The ability in in any season, in the hardest season, to walk through with faith what you're doing because you believe that Christ is with you. Patience is this. This is I, I tried to get around it, but it's literally, I, almost every commentary said this. In light of the person who annoys you, you're going to have faith. <laughs> I was like, really, that, that's what he meant? I'm like, okay, good. At least in first century, there were annoying people as they are now. They just didn't have Facebook. Um, <laughs> why follow them? Anyways. Not a <laughs> And then the Holy Spirit spoke to me pretty clearly. And he said, you know what's really sad? That we look at the dunamis, the power of the Spirit of God moving only in healings, in prophecies, in signs and wonders. But we don't see it in our everyday Christian life. We don't see it in the endurance to walk through trials. We don't see it in the patience of me not punching that person in the face. We don't see it in in the joy that I have, even though I go through difficulties. We don't see it in the thanksgiving I have, in the little things. Yes, everything may not be right, but thank God that he is for me and not against me. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me, and he said it like this. I wonder if you believe that my power was working in you in everyday things, that you would see some more signs and wonders in your life. Because you separate the ordinary power and the extraordinary power. See, but it's true, listen to this. We cannot do any of this Christianity thing without the dunamis power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. It says this in the scriptures, that we actually won't come to know Jesus unless the Holy Spirit opened our mind and our hearts. So why do we think that these supernatural gifts are better than the dunamis moving of his his working in my life to produce the fruit that I need? And if we saw him moving in an everyday life, ordinary, I think that we would begin to see his dunamis power moving in miraculous ways every day because we would see it every day anyways. So we wouldn't say, oh, this, was, this is like a a, a version of, of dunamis power and this is like a little bit smaller version of dunamis power. No, no, no. I am saved by grace, the Holy Spirit moving in me. I stand on stage here today. If you knew who I was long ago as a teenager, you would say, "What are you doing on here?" Dunamis power is what I'm doing on here. So why would I say I can I can't heal people, but I can have a transformed life? No, all of it is the power of God moving. And G, and Paul is writing saying, "I Desperately want to see this moving in your life? Why does he say, I want to see endurance? Why does he say, I want to see patience? Why joy? Why thanksgiving? Because I believe those things are a bridge to share the gospel. Have you ever seen somebody walk through trial? I have a pastor friend who is an amazing man of God who went through an Unbelievable trial. I could not imagine going through it. And he says, the power of God had me walk through it. And it's an opportunity for him to share the gospel. No, God did not make that happen, but God can use the situation so that the gospel can be spread. This is why he wants this stupendous power to be working in our lives so we can see God moving in our community. And we could share our faith. Hey, how come you have joy? Everything in your life is falling apart. Oh, thank you for asking. How are you so patient with this ignorant person who comes in every day and says the same thing to you? Oh, thank you for asking. There is such brokenness in your family. How are you walking through this season? Here's how. Jesus... And then I love, I love how Paul ends this. He doesn't say amen. Like he doesn't say amen, like, which is a really bad thing to do. Like you have to say amen at the end of a prayer. No one knows it's en- over if not. <laughs> there are a couple times where I haven't said amen because I just, I was like, I don't know. I was in a season where I just didn't want to say amen. Um, and, and you have these people who are like, you have all like the different types of people, right? One person, the, like, the one eye guy. Like, it's holier if I don't open both eyes. Oh, we're still praying? Okay, God, see, you, I didn't open both eyes. Right? And then you have, like, the holdover guy that just keeps his head down for, like, two paragraphs into, your, into the next topic, and you're, they're like, oh, we're done praying. Right? Like, like, we have... But Paul does not end his prayer by amen. He says this, and I love it. I love it. He says this. It continues in verse 12. He says... He has enabled you to share in the inheritance that belongs to his people. Now, what he's talking about here is the inheritance of Abraham. He's saying, listen, Gentiles. This is primarily a Gentile church, which just means they're not Jewish. Anybody here who's not Jewish, you're a Gentile, is what, is what the Bible clarifies. Jews, Gentiles. And so he says, you guys were not part of Abraham's inheritance. Now, Jesus has moved you into that inheritance and what was promised to Abraham is now promised to you. It's awesome is what he's trying to make a point of. And he says this, who live in light. He has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his son. Who purchased our freedom and forgiveness of our sins. Here's here's what we need to keep in scope. Remember, we are the church of Colossae. We are confused. We are just caught up in controversy. And the Apostle Paul, in his prayer, is strategically walking through a dismantling of the false teaching. At the end, he says this. He has transferred you from the kingdom of darkness Into, I love the word there, he rescued you. You were helpless. You were totally lost. And Jesus, he rescued you. And he didn't just leave you just in the middle ground somewhere. You just weren't in darkness, but you weren't in a good place. No, no. He transfers you into the kingdom of light, his son, into the kingdom of Jesus. And he's forgiven you and redeemed you. And he is strategically standing in the face of this heresy that's being taught, saying, yes, Jesus is good, but let me add on this religion, or let me add on this extra faith, let me add on this other God, or let me add on these religious uh, meals followings, or, or the things you're allowed to do and not allowed to do. He said, listen, that is nonsense. We are here Church of Colossae, because we want to mature in faith, right? And they would say, yes, you want to know God more. You want to walk out your faith and help others and see the fruit of the Spirit. You want to walk in that dunamis power. Well, let me remind you how it all started. You were broken and lost in a kingdom of darkness. You were absolutely in need of rescue and Jesus showed up. He transferred you out of that and put him in his own kingdom. He freed you and redeemed you and gave you all you needed. And now you think you can add to that? What did you do to rescue yourself? He said nothing. Nothing. He said you were rescued from darkness, put into light by Jesus. He is reminding. He's reminding us, Church of Colossae. He's reminding us, Church of Mountain Park. He's saying, you did not save yourself. You were broken. You were lost. You were caught up in sin, and he showed up. Jesus went to the cross. He rose again, and he brought freedom for you. So please, when you're trying to mature yourself in faith, don't make it about Bible plans. Don't make it about church attendance. Those things are not bad in themselves. But when we make it about those things, we forget that Jesus is the answer. I love it. Jesus uses these words. He says this, and I'm closing with this, for real. Jesus, in his own words, says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit, but apart from me, you can do nothing. So here's how I want us to end today. I want us to take five minutes and I want us just to abide in Jesus. Because let's be honest, we have put our hope in many different things, right? In our job, in our finances, in the way we act and how good we've networked. We, we put them all into these schedules and we, we make it about things and how we're going to mature ourselves. But, but Jesus has reminded us that if we want to see fruit, if we want to see fruit produced in our lives, the only way to do it is be a branch. And what does a branch do? It simply stays connected to the vine. There's nothing spectacular. No one ever walks to an orchard and says, that is my favorite branch right there. It's awesome. No, they never do that. A branch stays connected to the vine. And if you're here, and you have come in here and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, I need you to know that it it is all found in Jesus. Your your freedom is found in Jesus. If you're here and you are walking through a season, I need you to know, don't try harder. Submit more. Jesus is the answer. Just abide in Him. Abide in Him. Abide in Him like a a branch abides in a vine. And just say, you are my source. I love this translation. It says it like this same verse. I am the sprouting vine, and you're my branches. As you live in union with me, as your source, fruitfulness will stream from within you. But when you live separate, separated from me, you are powerless.
0: We hope that you are challenged and inspired by what you heard today and that you're willing to allow God to work in and through your life in bigger ways this week. We'd love to stay connected with you on social media, facebook.com slash mountainparkchurch and instagram.com slash mountainparkchurch. Finally, if you have a story of how God has been working in and through you, we'd love to hear it. Just email us at mystory@mp.church and tell us how God has been working in your life lately.